0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: This is TV Take, Variety's television podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. On today's episode, we talk with Leslie Headland, co-creator and showrunner of the Netflix series Russian Doll, which premieres February 1st. Later, TV critics Daniel Daddario and Caroline Framke also talk about Russian Doll, as well as Hulu's Pin 15. We'll also discuss Fox's Rent Live with Senior Features Editor Danielle Terciano. Stay tuned.
2: <music>
1: Leslie Headland, thank you for being here.
2: Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here.
1: So can you describe the premise for Russian Doll? Because I think if I do it myself, I'm going to do it a disservice.
2: Absolutely. So the premise of Russian Doll is that um, the character of Nadia, played by Natasha Lyonne, is celebrating her 36th birthday with a bunch of her friends at a very cool party in the East Village. And she has kind of a nice, you know, wild, fun, sexy evening, um, as you do on your birthday uh, when you're in your mid-30s with no husband and children and uh, at the end of the evening she's hit by a car and dies and then the next thing that happens to her is that she's back at this party for her, her her birthday party and she's kind of relives the same night again um making a little bit of different choices uh kind of like going maybe a little bit deeper about you know the things that are actually going on with her And then she dies again, and she's back at the party again. (laughs) So she is stuck in this loop. I wouldn't necessarily say she's dead, but she's definitely stuck in kind of a time loop where uh, she's restarting at the same starting point, not unlike a video game. And she has to kind of figure out, you know, is this something that's um, happening to her for a reason? Is it something that's not just happening to her but also happening to other people? Like there's a lot of different places that the show goes from there, although we might go into spoilers if I I yeah, tell any more. <laughs> so
1: I was afraid to talk about it myself. Of course, yeah, of yeah. Spoilers. Very respectful.
2: <laughs> Very respectful of you. Thank you.
1: Uh, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, a t- it's a time loop story, and I think we're used to seeing – we've seen those before. I mean it's an, it's an yeah. old science fiction device right yes. but, yeah, yeah yeah but we've you know people i think have seen it in things like groundhog day there was a tom cruise movie oh a few yes years ago yeah edge um, of tomorrow yeah, Ed that of was tomorrow.
2: then retitled I yes think.
1: <laughs> what did, and, they uh, have? a horrible retitle what yeah it was it?
2: like live die repeat yes i think was what they retitled it and and um uh happy death day as yep. well you know um yeah it's a it's a cinematic and television trope there have definitely been television shows about reliving the same day and You know, all those kinds of things. I think for us, um, it was more of a way in to tell the story about a character as opposed to, like, um, you know, what does it mean to, you know, be able to time travel or, or what do multiple loops mean or are there multiple timelines and, you know, things like that. And as you watch the show, like, more and more of that stuff gets revealed. But I think for Natasha and Amy and I, it was really important to explore a show about a female protagonist that asked basically spiritual and existential questions Mm -hmm. as opposed to a show that was about, you know, uh, you know, uh, a woman finding romance, a woman finding balance between her work life and her love life, a woman, you know, I don't know, getting the things that she, the material things that she wants, um, a woman dealing with motherhood and, and, and child and, and childbearing and rearing. Like those are all worthy endeavors and, and excellent, very, very excellent shows made about all of those things. But we just kind of were thinking but like what hasn't been done like even though this is a premise that has been used before it i don't know if it's been used to this to this end right if that makes sense like yeah. it's like instead of asking the question like can you know a piece of shit uh, news anchor become a nice guy you know what i mean like which is the premise of almost every male comedy uh <laughs> male driven comedy ever you know that like true. it's like the question becomes like um when a woman hits that age in her life like what are the spiritual and existential questions that she asks herself and um so yeah the, to me it was more of, of a way into um you know a a character study or or a a deeper dive into the types of things that Natasha and I are just interested in, in life in general Mm -hmm. as people on this earth. Um, But I learned very quickly working on the show that there were a lot of things about time travel that I needed to acquaint myself with. Such as? (laughs) Well, there were just a lot of things that we were like, well, you know, (laughs) there were just a lot of metaphysical questions that came up like, is this the same world like is this the same timeline as the one before like are there different timelines are there different aspects of um is this is she dead is Mm -hmm. this a thing you know all that kind of stuff and i feel like i don't want to spoil anything for anybody but i do think that we made we made some deep decisions about how we feel the character was going to develop from uh an internal standpoint and then did our best to do uh, a narrative payoff from there right. of like something that might feel very impressionistic yeah uh, as opposed to uh kind of a JJ Abrams like this is the reason this is what's happening right. you know like this is the you know like something like cabin in the woods it's like well there's a big thing and you know all about this and there's a big back you know like Drew's movie is so great of just you know kind of letting you know from the beginning that the you know the strings are being pulled whereas i feel like we were more interested in in creating something that the audience could kind of like have fun with the mystery box element of it, but not be so explanatory that by the end you're like, but wait a minute, you mm-hmm. know, like, let me check my Stephen Hawking and <laughs> and does that line up or not. But, it,
1: it feels like, I mean, it feels like she, Nadia is a really, really well-drawn character. Think, yeah. Who you don't get to see a lot of. Even, oh. even with 500 shows on TV, you don't really? get to see Really? Oh, that's of I think great so. to hear.
2: I'm so glad.
1: And, and Natasha Leone is so great, but you've taken that really well drawn character and then put it put her in a heightened situation that is unlike something that you would see that type of character who is already rare put in in yes. any circumstance.
2: Yes, 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 absolutely. And yet at the same time, I feel like even though it does follow you know that high concept premise through especially those first three episodes basically the feature lake film mm-hmm. <laughs> version of like how do you pay off that premise. Right. You know, once we hit episode four, it's like, well now we're gonna have to reinvent this a little bit. Like we've got, you know, uh five more episodes where we're gonna have to like dig a little bit deeper and get a little bit darker and, you know, um kind of figure out how do we raise the stakes for this character over and over again. But I'm glad that you feel that way about her character and 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 feeling that I think that one of the fun things about putting her in magical realism is that you don't, um, while you do have to deal with the ethics and the morality of the character eventually, because um, most of the time this kind of premise is used to explore that like It's a Wonderful Life, Groundhog Day, Back to the Future, like so many of those movies that I love are about kind of confronting the ethical and moral dilemmas that the characters are going through. Um, but I think with females especially, there's this feeling of, um, want, at least in my experience from my film work and to my TV work, uh, with female characters and bad behavior and, and uh, you know, them being sort of spiritually lost, there's this quick feeling of, like, how do we punish them, essentially? Yeah. Like Like, how do we make sure that they stop doing this? And I think what's fun about the premise of the show is that we're kind of making the point that this is of her own creation and it's something she is going to have to... Uh, rectify for herself it's not something that the that society is going to uh, reel her in for she is the architect of her own destruction as we all as human beings are and so it boldens me to think that we've created a female character even in such a crowded landscape that um, feels fresh and new and have put her in you know a premise that maybe has been used before but not to necessarily this end um, hopefully.
1: Not, not to spoil anything, but this does spoil a minor thing. There's a thing that she does at the beginning of the, the second or third episode where she's talking on the phone and she's got a raw egg in a cup and she put <laughs> yeah. in some worst worst wor- 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 the Rocky and so, moment yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah I was just like not only was I like this is everything you need to know about this character but also <laughs> I was like Natasha Leona is the only actress who could pull this off this I completely well.
2: agree I completely agree We when we were shooting that I kept thinking that as well I mean we really did that in uh, not in quote unquote one t- we did do it in one take but it's intercut with like you said a phone call so yeah. it wasn't the only coverage for the scene, but because we were doing it in one take, she was putting that egg and the Tabasco sauce and like all those <laughs> other things, doing it with a chopstick, you yeah. know, like whatever was sitting around, you know. And I just watching her, it was like uh, she really is one of the um, the premier physical com- comedians, mm-hmm. comedians uh, around. You know, I feel like especially mainstream comedy, and now with. What the kids are calling post-comedy. Post-comedy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, post-comedy. That's a Wait, new thing. Wait, I haven't heard. Oh, you haven't heard yet. post-comedy? No, it's a new thing. It's coming. Okay, a lot of the think pieces. Oh. It's going to launch a thousand think pieces. Oh, but shit. Uh, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. But but the idea that we are moving more and more into a kind of a more uh, you know intellectual kind of comedy mm-hmm. that comedians are kind of becoming even more introspective, even more kind of uh you know challenging and cutting to the to to the norm um and as a result you know there is this idea of the neck up comedy of of kind of you know moral uh, intellectual ethically questionable you know, characters who are all kind of wrestling with these things. And you do, I think, miss a little neck down comedy <laughs> because of that. And Tosh, with all of the things that she had to do with this show of, you know, multiple deaths, you know, like you said, the, the egg moment, there's, there's so many things like that that I just marveled while I was watching the, uh, the monitor. I was like, what a fucking median you know like the real deal like everything she's doing is funny like everything every choice she's making with her body is funny and uh, I do think that that if I may go on a tangent that's why uh, way back in the day when I first came on the scene it feels like a million years ago now but (laughs) there was this big like can women be funny thing and I think it's because it's hard to you know uh, I think what people were struggling with was like how do we sexualize women and find them physically funny at the same time Uh, you know and I think that that what has happened from when i came on the scene with with bachelorette which was only like gosh i guess like seven years ago now yeah. um what i've seen in the last seven years is more and more of an embracing of like we don't necessarily need to sexualize the female character or if we do that can also be a funny thing like that you can be sexy and funny and um uh, i don't need to feel bad about uh watching um a woman do physical comedy like it can actually be kind of freeing and kind of even more funny than i thought it could be um so that's something that i thought was really fun about the premise of the show and about uh about working with her specifically um that i don't often get to see you know like a lot of a lot of uh women obviously do that but but i don't get to see it that i i haven't gotten to really work on it too much or 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 uh whatever but Gosh, I'm rambling, aren't I? No, lots that's, of rambling. <laughs> no, that's a good
1: ramble. Like, do you feel like in the years since you did *Bachelorette*, that, yeah. that those questions have been sort of not questions because they were never legitimate questions to begin with, but, right? But is that is that a hurdle that you no longer need to clear? when you're pitching something
2: yeah no it's really it has gotten better to a certain extent uh at least in the comedy world there's less of this feeling i mean definitely when i went around with bachelorette like i made the blacklist with that script in 2008 and that was a year where i did my little water bottle tour and like you know got to meet everybody and was like hi please hire me um and there really was this very intense feeling of like you know this movie will never get made like this is not a movie that gets made women don't like these kinds of movies and obviously because there are women in the movie those are th- that those that's the only audience that you could possibly uh convince to come and see this movie and now i feel like in the years since then in like the 10 years since then um it, it it there there is this feeling of like not only are women driving the box office and not only are they interested in r rated um kind of uh, more adult comedies, but you also have women uh, creating that on uh, i when I say a higher level, I mean like at a higher rate yeah. and so you have you know as you see that stuff um, getting picked up and uh, put into the marketplace and succeeding, then it opens the doors for everybody else and and it, start, it ceases to become a question of whether or not we can make money off of this and starts to become a question of. Um uh, okay, now what do we want to do? You know like like now that we 're through the door, mm-hmm. what do we want to say, and how are we different, and how are we the same and 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 all of those things so I would say like you know it's certainly there's still you know obviously a lot of inequality and there's a lot of like odd hiring practices going on and and um beyond the other darker darker issues <laughs> are in our too. industry yeah. that are also there. But I do think there, there isn't this question necessarily anymore. I don't find, I, I don't feel like I'm being challenged in that way of like, because you're a woman, this is a genre that you're not necessarily going to be able to, uh, you know, wrestle to the ground. Um, it feels more uh, actually kind of empowering that you have people like on this show, for example, like polar and Leon and, um, Uh, you know, on my other films like Andrea Savage and and Alison Brie and these people that just have continued to go on and create, uh, you know, uh, essentially careers or brands or other shows or original content um, in a way that I think, yeah, like probably 10 years ago never would have happened. Like, oh, we don't want to see a mom not liking being a mom. You know, (laughs) like, why would we want (laughs) to Why would we want to see and promote that? Um so uh it's so cool too. I feel like it's now moving on the, the conversation's now moving from that into like, you know, inclusivity and diversity. Like it's moving more into that conversation of like, okay, so how do we now that we've <laughs> now that we've broken down this wall, let's move to the next one.
1: Right. What um you so you developed, you and Natasha Leone and Amy Poehler developed this together. Can you just talk about, you know, how you guys came together on this and, you know, how yeah. what the development process was like?
2: You know, to be honest, it's been going on for, for quite a bit. So I don't really remember the moment where we came up with this particular pitch for the first season. I just remember that, you know, it was almost, you know, just Natasha and I did Sleeping with Other People together and... Uh, that was where we, we'd met a little bit before shooting that. And, um, just every time we would hang out, we would kind of be like, God, you know, we got to do something, you know, we got to do something that kind of like addresses, you know, all the things that I think Russian doll ends up addressing, which is like, you know, how do you do a show about a woman's existential crisis or spiritual crisis? Like, how do you break your own patterns? How do you become a different person? Like, how do you, um... Not just, you know, grow up and that means, like, I check off the, you know, the capitalistic, you know, um, uh, things of, like, house, boy, kids, career, money. Like, you know, like, but actually, like, how do I find self-fulfillment through growing up and um, moving on to the next phase of my development as a human being? And so it was, like, all these different, like, we would just talk about it every time we saw each other. And she would kind of talk about the things that, you know, the stuff that was really inspiring to her and mostly, like, you know, these, uh, you know, Fellini films and, and a lot of, um, uh, you know, um, what's it called, uh, these kinds of shows that she would be like, you know, what about a, like a Black Mirror episode, but it lasts a season instead of just a, you know, just a, just an episode, like we would just throw around these like different ideas of like, um, oh gosh, yeah, we talked about a lot about like Charlie Kaufman and, and Spike, uh, Spike Jones and, and, you know, like, how do you do that but for, you know, the female experience of living in New York and, and, and being 36 and kind of coming to the point that you've you've lived hard enough that that's probably middle age? <laughs> 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 like, one of my favorite lines in the pilot is she says, like, I have the internal organs of a man twice my age, <laughs> you know? Like, it's like, it's, it's true. Like, she and I have both, like, you know, l- lived hard, you know? Like, so... You know when we hit our mid thirties we were definitely not feeling like our lives are starting you know it was like it was like it's like what have we done you know like how do we how do we get through the rest of this um and uh and somehow it just you know it just started to come to, we just started making decisions we were like okay, maybe it's you know she's stuck at this party you know like maybe she maybe it's her birthday maybe she's You know, at this point in her life, maybe she does this for a career. And and, uh, it started from character and then went to premise and then it became a show. Um, But I think what's – and if I can give any advice to any, you know, writers out there, it is such a process. It isn't this, like – you know, I think some people work really well with, like, that deadline and then you've got to, like, pitch the thing by then. But I had a really fun time, like, over the course of a couple years developing it with them and and really having it come from a little bit more of an organic place than – you know, a, a homework assignment. <laughs> so
1: we were talking uh, before this about the sort of Chris Pine about Chris, <laughs> about Chris Pine. We were talking about Chris Pine, and if you want to rehash that conversation, yeah. No, no you I can. just want to. I, I
2: just wanted to give a shout out uh, to my to, to my Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we have him here today. Actually. Oh my god! Um, don't don't fuck with me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were talking
1: about. Um, just the idea of having doing a show show like this on a streaming service. where, oh, yes, yeah. You know, the first ninety minutes. This could be a ninety minute movie. So then, right. what do you do after that narratively to justify the fact that you've got you know that you're you're that this is a, a longer story? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Essentially. Yeah. So, like, what do you? How do you approach that? Like, what?
2: Well, what's kind of fun? The way that I approached it was uh, essentially as uh, very much a newbie. Like, this is the second television show that I worked on. <laughs> you know, like I was like, <laughs> I, like I, I kept you know saying to like the writers room, I was like, you have to remember, I've never done this before. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. So it was. It was definitely something that um we did approach it essentially as a four hour experience as as opposed to ep- ep- quote unquote episodes um but that being said, we also had in our writers' room very talented you know senior uh, writers that come from that world of episodic television where you're writing for ad breaks for ads and you know your your destination viewing and your 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 um you're you're landing your cliffhangers for you know a week later is when you're going to find that piece of information out you know so it was really nice we had this kind of representation of, of of that you know sort of generation and and uh thought process and then also uh that kind of new generation of streaming viewing where it isn't it isn't so much it's definitely episodic but it's not it's it's also going to be something that most likely people will sit there for four hours and watch in one sitting um, or, you know, over the course of the weekend or over the course of a week. So you do come at it from this it, from this place of like, I do want to hold in my head that each episode is an act one, act two, act three. You know, like you don't want to forget that there, there's a reason for that. Um, and to have those particular A and B storylines that, you know, are nicely tied up by the end of those. <laughs> um, at the same time, uh, I did think of the the season, and I think, you know, Natasha would agree with this, that I thought of the season as a whole, as, you know, episodes one through three, act one, four through six, act two, seven and eight, act three. Like, that you, you couldn't just think of it as like, the season one is an advertisement for season two. Like, it, it actually will be this, you know, thing that you can sit there and watch and feel narratively satisfied by what you're watching and yet you could also take it serving size one episode at a time and still enjoy it that way. And so it's kind of a long-winded way of answering your question, but its I think it's still something that people are figuring out, and I certainly was a lot of trial and error of, like, does this actually, especially getting into the edit, and going, like, where is the best place for this story to end, and then maybe that actually, maybe the end of this episode actually becomes the beginning of the next episode, or vice versa, and, you know, all of those things. So it it was a, a totally singular experience that I think the industry is still kind of adjusting, but they're kind of still... I think we're all still in between worlds right now um so it is a lot of trial and error and and sometimes uh you know i would want to really slavishly follow the the episodic um, push of what a normal i don't want to say normal that's not right but like a traditional show would do because that's how we've been trained to watch tv but at the same time embrace the fact that things are changing and the way people watch are changing and um, even me, like I considered myself a destination viewer for a long time and now I notice myself waiting for episodes to store up and then watching the whole thing, like um, blowing off like a whole day or a whole weekend to do it. <laughs>
1: it's the healthiest way to watch.
2: I do. I mean, I really enjoy it that way It's but it, it's because I don't like I mean I want instant gratification. You know I don't want to delay it at all.
1: Um it's it's set in the East Village. It's it's largely shot in the East Village.
2: Yes, yeah, we all, we we shot almost everything there, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm wondering it definitely portrays like a a particular I mean like look, like all good New York things, it's about it's actually about a it, a very particular small part of New York. Yeah. Um and I'm wondering like to what extent does that East Village that, is, that we see in this story still exists.
2: Oh, that's a really good question. It might even be a better question for Natasha because she actually lives in the East Village still. I mean, like, you know, I went to school in New York and have lived in New York a long time, but I've definitely bopped around. I live in Brooklyn now, so, um, and I was in LA for a long time. So I never really experienced the East Village in that, like, kind of 90s, early 2000s way that I think, um, you know, obviously, like, Natasha grew up, uh, I think... She I don't know when she moved there, but she definitely grew up in New York, you know, like so I don't know, but we definitely wanted it to feel a little fantasy-like. We didn't want it to feel too much like um this is actually what it's like. Uh you know, after hours was such a big reference insofar as like it should feel like a fantasy land, even though all these places exist and we're shooting on location and we're shooting people's, you know, the the apartments that we shot in, those are all real apartments there. Um the uh, the set that we built is based on an exterior place that we found and like cheating that exterior for somebody's very fancy East Village apartment and um, uh, and all of that but we just felt like there in a way there was the the newer parts of the East Village and then there were the kind of haunted historical like you know uh, Tompkins and um, the yeshiva uh, the old yeshiva that's been turned into condos like you know that kind of feeling that um, New York itself might be kind of in on what whatever 's going on with this person. I think what 's interesting about like it 's a wonderful life or you know back to the future Groundhog Day those films is that they do usually take place in a centralized locale you don 't move out to big huge cities where you 're like watching everyone have meltdowns because they 're reliving the same day over and over again it 's like you actually in a way um, if you can stay quote unquote in a small town then you can um, beef that premise up and utilize it to its fullest degree. And so when we decided to set it in the East Village, um, we decided, like, oh, this is going to be our snow globe East Village. Like, we're not actually allowed to, you know the characters will not ever move outside of like Natasha even said, like, these are the streets we don't go past, yeah. you know what I mean? Like this is where this takes place. And we used to joke that like, that possibly like when the characters would walk up to one of those streets that we weren't allowed to go past, there would just be nothing there. You know, <laughs> 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 like it was like a simulation of the East village, you know, um, that's not a spoiler cause that's not what happens. But I, um, uh, so to answer your question of like, you know, how much does it exist? I, I think it's both what's still there because we utilize so much of it. Um, but at the same time, it has that fantasy element to it, that, that, uh, that, a. Uh that a hill valley or Bedford Falls or Puxitani like just automatically has. Um it is our little snow globe with which we are working out, you know, uh this character salvation (laughs) over the course of the of the season.
1: You you earlier earlier you said season one. Do you feel like this story could extend into multiple seasons?
2: Absolutely. We we actually pitched it initially to Netflix as a three season arc. Like we we came in and we said, you know, these are the things and this is where we think we're going. And um, I want to hold it a little close to my chest just because i 'm like i don 't know you know like w- let 's see let 's see how the first season goes <laughs> um i don 't want to even spoil the first season, but I do think that we, we definitely had several ideas about where the you know season two and season three would go um but I also have to say like w- what the first season ended up becoming was something that was so um so specialized and beautiful and so different than what we, in theory, had originally thought. Like, there there were certain things that worked about the first season that I don't know, uh, you know, that we weren't planning on it and including in these, like, later seasons that now I'm like, oh, but I wouldn't want to lose that. And, like, you know, like, I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to, uh, you know, have it not take place in these villas, you know, like, like all of these things. So so I think it's, now that the first season is, is done and when we get a chance to see how people react to it, I think there'll be, like, a little bit of a, a different a different thought about it, but, but we did plan on it being, you know, this, uh, you know, you know, a multi-season, albeit, uh, what's the word? Unconventional, you know, set up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it's always the thing of like, I don't know if we get, if we get asked back to the party, you know, like we'll, we'll, we'll definitely RSVP, you know, that kind of thing.
1: That. Leslie, thank you very much. For, thank uh, you.
2: Thank you for having me. Of course.
1: Russian doll is already drawing strong critical buzz. Daniel D'Addario and Caroline Franke discussed the show as well as pin 15, a middle school set comedy series from the lonely Island.
3: So this week we are talking about one show that is dropping as this airs. Uh, Russian Doll on Netflix is coming out Super Bowl weekend as kind of perfect counter-programming as far as I'm concerned. It concerns um, Natasha Leon of Orange is the New Black and other great things who relives a night of her life. And maybe that's even more than I should have said, <laughs> because I think this show is best approached with as few spoilers as one can manage. Caroline, help me talk this through. You've seen more of it than I have. I've only seen the pilot. You reviewed it and have seen uh, the whole run of the first season. So get, yes. situate us a little bit.
4: <laughs> this was, as I said in my review, one of the trickier reviews I've had to write, um, but not because I am confused about my feelings on it. I think it's great. It's. I would be surprised if this doesn't end up in my top five shows of the year. Um, created by Leslie Hedlund, um who... Wrote, directed *Bachelorette* and *Sleeping with Other People*, uh, Leon and *Amy Poehler*. It's a sort of it's a half hour dramedy, I think is the best way to put it. And yeah, it's about. Well, I guess you already said it, and I'll just say that it makes sense that it's coming out around Groundhog's Day. Hmm. Uh, but it definitely took me by surprise. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to be careful about spoilers in the review, even though they didn't actually, Netflix did not ask me to steer clear of too many things is because genuinely, I think it's a really cool thing to go into as blind as you can. So what I can tell you is that Leon's fantastic in it. I've rarely seen her as well used in this, which makes sense because she co-wrote um, a few of the episodes. She even directed one. Uh, so she obviously knows how to use her talents best. Um, her and Headland make so much sense to me together. They're both really acerbic and smart and funny. Uh, and yeah it's eight episodes so it goes by really fast they i talked to um leslie recently about coming up with the show and she told me that they really made it with streaming in mind they always wanted it to be something that people could watch in one sitting or in a couple sittings and i'll tell you that i made it last for maybe three sittings but it was tough (laughs) and that was mostly me wanting to make it last um So yeah, this one's tricky to talk about, but I'm excited to talk about it more once it's out and more of you have seen it. (laughs)
3: One observation I would make about Natasha Lyonne is that it's really great that Orange is the New Black has such a big ensemble. That's obviously a huge part of why it's been successful, but it's also challenging because someone like her who shines so brightly on that show has also fallen into and out of the story somewhat as it's, as it's Mm -hmm. gone on and you... Always want to see more of her. She's so incandescent on that show. So it's exciting that she is getting such a big look where she is really, this is a tour de force for her.
4: Yes. It definitely lets her be both very funny and very dramatic in ways that I think will surprise some people. Um, So it's cool to see her be able to flex all those muscles in a way that she hasn't really gotten to before.
3: And I this week you also reviewed Pen15, which is coming out on Hulu. Yes. And this is another one that I feel like has a hook that I simultaneously want to know a lot more about and <laughs> am completely confused and mystified by. And I guess I just need to see it for myself. Yes. So tell me a little bit about, like, who is playing the leads of Pen15.
4: Uh, yeah. So this is this comes from Anna Kunkel and Maya Erskine. They're a comedy duo um, – Who have been writing together for a little while now and they've been trying to shop this idea around for a few years and it was tricky because as you said it's a little confusing on the face of it they play essentially themselves as their 13 year old selves in the year 2000 um, but no one else who's playing their friends or crushes or whatever is an adult everyone else is played by actual teenagers and then they are themselves but I will say that they do a really good job making aging them down and making them uh, seem much more teenagery, for lack of a better term. But they're also more, to the point, really fantastic at acting those parts in a way that I've rarely seen for um, teenage girls, honestly. The way I keep describing it is that it feels like the geeks part of Freaks and Geeks, as written by women. <laughs>
3: That's really that's really exciting because I, like every critic, love freaks and geeks. But I always <laughs> did feel a bit as though that perspective was missing from that story, or at least I would have just liked to have seen it. Right. That's so, why Millie was always so great. <laughs> yes, exactly. The rare addition on that show. Um so and that's on Hulu and That's on
4: Hulu. It's dropping February 8th. And it's dropping, this is actually unusual for Hulu, they're dropping all of the 10 episodes at once. Usually Hulu does weekly, and this time they're dropping them all at once. And I do think it does work well if you want to watch a few. I ended up watching it much faster than I thought I would.
3: Yeah, I tend to think that comedy is especially binge-worthy on these cold winter weekends. And I don't necessarily (laughs) post difficult people going away. I don't know that I always think of Hulu as a destination for original comedy as opposed to licensed shows from other networks. yeah so I think this is kind of exciting that they're that they're putting their toe into this field again.
4: yeah and I think um, I think people will find it really interesting once you kind of get past the cognitive dissonance of seeing them play 13 year olds the stories are really great and smart and a little bit different than what we've been seeing. I feel like we've been seeing a lot of really good shows recently about puberty. Um, we, the ones that immediately come to mind are Big mouth and sex education both of Netflix. There's some really good stories in this one about you know first periods and first kisses and stuff, but in a way that I have not seen as much before and also a little bit more explicit than we've maybe seen before, which is maybe not super surprising given um, their executive producers uh Pen fifteen is produced by the Lonely Island, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, they know something about being explicit and funny
3: yeah, and being everything else I've seen by them is, re- is really explicit without getting into the place of uncomfortable raunch where it's just, like, gross. So yeah, I feel like they know that balance really, really nicely.
4: Yes. And uh, Erskine and Kunkel, I feel like there is something about them being adults playing these parts that actually helps um, when it comes to stuff like... There's an episode about one of their characters sort of figuring out... Th- what masturbation is basically. And I feel like, you know, that's the kind of thing you can't do if you actually are using teenage actors. Cause you shouldn't do that.
3: Correct. Yes.
4: <laughs> it will be on, go on the record of saying yes. that
3: unless, <laughs> unless you're like sex education and have like 27 year olds playing the teams not in the many cases. It, right. But that's yeah. kind of
4: the way around it. Um <laughs> yeah. And it is a really good episode. It's smart and it's very funny and it's pretty explicit in a way that I'm not sure they could have other, done otherwise. So I do think it's, a fascinating comedy. It's a cool idea and it's the kind of thing that if they weren't as smart about it as they are, could have been a disaster, but to, for my money, it's not.
3: Well, sounds great. I can't wait to watch.
4: Yeah, we'll see. And uh, as always, there's more TV where that came from.
1: On Sunday, Fox's Rent Live aired, but not in exactly the way the network planned. Danielle Turciano has been covering the live musical for Variety. So, Danielle, what happened Sunday night on what was supposed to be Rent Live?
5: Well, the night before, during the live dress rehearsal, the actor who was playing Roger, Brendan Hunt, uh, broke his foot in between two acts. And the night that it happened, they didn't know he had broken it. They knew he had injured himself. So he went to the hospital, he got checked out. Turned out it was broken, and that meant that he wouldn't be able to perform any of the very physical choreography. And with only a few hours to the live broadcast – they can't re-choreograph the entire show as characters, you know, one of the major characters. So they ended up rolling in about 90% of the rehearsal from the night before that he had performed at full uh, mobility. And then they actually used, um, just the final act went live, true live on Sunday night, so that he could actually perform seated, but his perform vocally and he was wearing, you know, his cast and his boot and he was able to, you know, close out the show with his cast.
1: What um, uh, what did he do to break his foot?
5: Well, there was a moment in between um, the song What You Own, which closed out the second to last act, um, and then the commercial break where he and another actor, Jordan Fisher, who played Mark, had to... Run across the scaffolding and down a few flights of stairs in order to do a quick change for the final act. And so as he was running down the stairs, uh, he told me during our interview that he jumped off the final step and kind of just landed. He kind of rolled his, his ankle when he landed and he heard something snap in his foot. Um, so ba- I mean basically it was just a freak accident you know he was rushing to to get changed for the final act and landed wrong unfortunately and changed the course of the musical <laughs>
1: the cor- the course of rent live history of
5: course yeah I mean it wasn't rent live it was rent previously recorded
1: and that's what viewers saw when the when the broadcast started right they saw a message saying that the was previously, yeah. Material. There,
5: there was um, just on the screen on a Chiron, which I believe some viewers in New York didn't even see because some of the feeds in New York were frozen for the first few minutes, so they probably didn't know what was going on. But the cast actually also taped a message so that in the first commercial break they addressed the camera and they said, you know, unfortunately one of our actors got injured and so what you're, most of what you're going to see tonight is previously recorded. But it was all live in the sense of live to tape the night of the rehearsal. None of it was edited in the traditional television sense. It just wasn't live on the night they said it was going to be live.
1: Now watching it, did – did you have a sense that there was, you know, you said that they recorded this live to tape, but did you have a sense that this wasn't in some was was it what you expected to see? Could you tell that it had been pre-recorded?
5: Well, I was full disclosure. I was at the rehearsal that was ended up being the live broadcast, um, so it felt it felt very much like a live performance. It, it but at the same time, it in moments felt like a rehearsal. It, it didn't feel like everybody maybe was going two hundred percent the way you would in a rock musical like this. I can't obviously speak to whether or not that's hundred percent true. It's my opinion of what I was watching. But um, you could you could feel a difference in energy in the room at which I do think maybe translated a little bit on screen for some viewers. And then, you know, that final act Sunday night when they went true live, you you heard a different reaction from that audience that was watching that versus the audience that had been watching the rest of the show which ultimately was the night before
1: why didn't they just have an understudy step in for him
5: you know I think just historically with the television musicals when they're a live television event um, they're they're casting them and they're selling these events on the cast names and so they just, they just cross their fingers and hope for the best and they don't they don't want to pull somebody out and say, well, the person we've been selling you on this whole time and that we've been marketing this whole time is not going to appear. So they, um, and obviously in a situation like this, it's also the choreography is very physical. They didn't have a contingency plan where they had a scaled down version should someone get sick or injured. Um, Although I will say that, you know, the night of, the live broadcast, there was a live studio audience in Fox Studios, and the cast came out on the stage, and they were performing vocally for that audience, and Brennan was being wheeled around in a wheelchair, and, you know, you don't have the time in the five hours that you need that Sunday to re-choreograph, re-light, rework with the cameras to accommodate a character like him in a wheelchair, and yet... It would have been really cool to see what that could have looked like, I think, and I kind of hope that what they did film makes it we've seen bits of it here and there on social media, but maybe they'll show the that version in full someday.
1: as you said, you spoke with him the morning mm-hmm. after. Um, what was his attitude like?
5: I mean, he was obviously very heartbroken. I mean this he's said it a number of times to me, and I'm sure he said it to other interviewers that you know he's a newer actor. Um, He's a singer-songwriter as well. And I think he's probably better known in in a lot of circles for that because he's had publishing deals and he's worked with some big names in the the country and Christian music fronts. And on the acting side, you know, he's done Nashville. But this was, in a lot of ways, going going to be a bigger thing for him. Um, And he still got to perform it. It just wasn't what he was expecting. And and he you know, he was trying to be very positive and, you know, he seems to be pretty religious and he said to me, you know, maybe my foot broke for a reason and um that he he preys on things a lot and he thinks about, you know, what the meaning of things ends up being, um, in the larger sense, but it, it definitely felt like this took a lot out of him.
1: Do you feel like this going down the way it did will have any impact on the future of these live musicals? They've been such a kind of big part of TV programming the last few years.
5: I have to hope so. I mean, I think there's a huge lesson to be learned here, and I don't know that it would be a situation where they would start casting understudies because of what we talked about with the name recognition being important for a lot of these projects, but I would hope that maybe there's a way to start the process earlier, to cast earlier, to get into rehearsals earlier, and to create versions of shows where, okay, if someone gets sick or injured, we've got a scaled-down version of choreography. Not every musical is going to be as physical as Rent, so not everyone may warrant the size of adjustments should something happen, but I mean, I would hope so. I th- I feel like they all learned a lesson from this, and I think, especially um, for the other actors, a number of them They were all very supportive of him, but I'm sure a number of them were were disappointed not to go live on Sunday and and give it their all.
1: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Anna Paquin, star of the pop series, Flack.
3: 18- plus.